Hey there, wonderful human. Before we get started today, I wanted to give you the exciting update that my newest book, The Stories We Carry, is now available for pre-order. I'm so excited to release this newest book. As you may have heard, it's all about my journey of overcoming abuse and trauma and how I transformed shame into strength and pain into purpose, becoming a best-selling author, human trafficking ambassador, and global speaker who now gets to spread stories of hope and healing all across the world. This book has so many incredible stories that I have never been able to speak about before, including um, the 18 months that I spent personally investigating exploitation in my city, and I can't wait to share it with you. You can grab your personally signed copy at jazzrollinson.com slash the stories we carry. Thank you so much, and let's get into today's episode. Welcome to Authors of Impact. I'm your host, Jazz Rawlinson, best-selling author, book coach, and all-round lover of impactful stories. Join with me as we go behind the memoir with some of the world's most influential authors, revealing the secrets and strategies that have helped each writer go from big idea to author of impact. I'll also share with you the techniques and tips that I use as a book coach and author that can help you better navigate the writing and publishing process for yourself. If you're ready to become an author of impact, this is the place for you. Hi there, fellow changemaker, and welcome back to Authors of Impact. Today on the show, I'm joined by Dr. Erin Bao, clinical and perinatal psychologist, business mentor, and author of the book, More Than a Healthy Baby. With a focus on mental health and motherhood, Erin has impacted thousands of lives through her books, as well as her courses and media appearances in outlets such as Sydney Morning Herald, Kidspot, and many others. She's the host of the Mum As You Are podcast, has taught more than 2,700 students from 42 countries through her courses, and was announced as a finalist in Osmompreneur's Women Who Will Change the World and Digital Innovation categories. I'm so excited to bring this episode to you, particularly um, as a mother myself and someone who's really never been able to have a conversation before about birth trauma. In today's episode, Erin and I will be discussing why birth trauma is about so much more than just physical injury and why one in three women are now actually experiencing traumatic births. We'll talk about uh, how birth trauma impacts black and brown communities, especially women in the Bronx, and why Erin decided to combine her experience around birth trauma and her expertise as a clinical and perinatal psychologist to write her book, More Than a Healthy Baby, Finding Strength and Growth After Birth Trauma. And of course, as always, we'll be talking about all things book writing, as well as the tools and tricks that helped Erin to write her book while juggling motherhood, often writing with a baby on her hip, her experience with working through traumatic memories while working on her book, and how to approach the publishing industry as a first-time author. I know this is an episode that will resonate with so many, and I can't wait to introduce it to you. So without further ado, here is my interview with Dr. Erin Bow. Thank you so much for joining me, Erin. Thank you. It's great to have you here. I'm um, obviously very interested in talking more with you about motherhood and mental health as well, which are two things that are very interesting to me. And mental health is obviously a big passion of mine. But before we dive into things, I was wondering if you could just share with our audience, you know, uh, just quickly share with them a little bit about yourself, where you're located, and maybe one interesting or quirky fact that they might not know about you. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I trained as a clinical and perinatal psychologist. 
I do a lot of different things. So when people ask me what do you do, I'm kind of like, oh, it's a bit complicated. <laughs> There's a laundry list of things. Um, I also have two young daughters. They are six and four and I'm in the Macedon Ranges, which I used to say if you know where Hanging Rock is, that's kind of out that way. I think now I'm going to start saying it's where the block is being filmed because then people will know where that is. So out in the countryside, lots of chickens. You might even hear some in the background. Country life. It's, um, yeah, it's good. It's good for the writing process. Yeah, it definitely sounds like it would be. It's funny you made that distinction before because, um, you know, I definitely know the film Picnic at Hanging Rock, but now for today's audience and today's generation, probably saying the block is a lot better for <laughs> marketing and all those sorts of things. Um, but, yeah, definitely It's resonates. more accessible. We'll put it that way. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, well, um, I mean, if we hear any little chickens in the background, that's great. I grew up in a mountain <laughs> valley area in mid-north coast of New South Wales, so we had plenty of chickens growing up, so totally comfy with that. Um, now, as I said, I'm fascinated to talk with you more about mental health, motherhood, and in particular, um, and particularly your book, which is called um, "More Than a Healthy Baby: Finding Strength and Growing After Birth, um, Finding Strength and Growth After Birth Trauma." And it's something that I'm sure a lot of mothers resonate with. I certainly do. I was only just reading an article last week about. Um, how common birth trauma is. I think it might have said something like one in, I might get this wrong. I thought it was one in three, but it might be one in 10. Yeah. Um, is that correct? No, it's one in one three. One in three. Wow. Mm. Yeah. It's so shocking because so many of us who are mothers don't recognize this, but also society as a, as a whole, I think also just has this expectation that, yeah, it's not going to be pleasant probably, but you know, you just you get over it, it's fine. But really it can it can be in, and is incredibly traumatic for so many women, including friends of mine. So I was wondering what got you onto this path? What made you really passionate about raising awareness of this issue and then obviously going on to write a book about it as well? Yeah, so it's interesting because I guess doing perinatal work, it was always part of the work that I did. But, you know, I trained in hypnobirthing I had a doula I read all the policies I did all the research I felt really well informed I still wanted to have a hospital birth like lots of people do went in and thought that's not going to happen to me and it did twice (laughs) despite all the things so I won't get into the trauma details too much because I guess uh like I'm in a good place to talk about it. I've talked about it plenty of times, but it's one of those things that sometimes people just don't quite know what they're going to get triggered by. So the stories are in my book and it's out in the world. But I suppose in brief, I my first birth was super fast. I was induced. It was 90 minutes start to finish. The birth itself was pretty good. I felt pretty empowered. But on the way out, <laughs> darling daughter came out superwoman style with a fist up and had grabbed a bunch of me on the way out and uh, yeah I had so I had injuries but it didn't look like there was anything kind of there and it started with like oh I feel like a bit of pain in my back 
and my OB and the nurses are kind of going, yeah, you know, well, it was a quick birth, blah, blah, blah. And then it sort of got to a stage where by the time I think it was a paediatrician who came in to, like, weigh my daughter and look at it, like, I, I was like, I'm, I don't even want to be here anymore. Like, that 10 out of 10 pain. Um, so the injury wasn't discovered until later. It was just one of those, like, but that feeling that lots of women have of, like, I'm in pain and nobody's kind of taking it seriously. That happens to a lot of people. So there was that. <laughs> and then I decided after saying... Certainly relate to that. Yeah. It, it is a thing. The whole how do we measure pain, how do we talk about pain, it's very, very subjective. Um, you know, and I didn't have an epidural. I didn't have any of the things. It was kind of like, I suppose, in the inverted commas, like a natural birth, as mm. we said. But I went from feeling fine and like on top of the world I can do this to sort of going, oh, something is not right at all. Like they tried to examine me and I'm just like, no, can't happen. So it was that. (laughs) I did go back for a second one after saying I wasn't going to. And then my second baby uh, was an absolute whopper of a meatloaf that nobody ever could have anticipated. (laughs) So she was five kilos on the button, which people kind of are doing the maths. It's 11.3 and I'm five four. So Big, 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 big baby um, and she got stuck on the way out. So there was some things, shall we say, Oh, of course you have. That. I love how you said this. I mean, you obviously love your daughter but like this whopper of a baby. Of course if you have a child that like a baby that big, you would imagine that there's going to be some quite significant trauma. But then when I think of people around me or stories I've heard from when I was younger, there was never any discussions about the significant impact on a woman's body and mental health after giving birth to, you know, any baby, but particularly a large baby. And the expectation was just that, oh, you know, you, you get some stitches, you heal up, you're all fine back to like back to life as normal. But I, I, now I look at it and especially after having, you know, a, a child, I'm like, I don't understand how there's how there was ever this expectation that a woman should just be completely back to normal after a couple of weeks, even if she has a small baby. I mean, birth itself is quite and can be incredibly powerful, but also inherently traumatic. And it's just interesting that it's taken us so long as a society to get to this point where we're having these conversations. And I think it can be even harder if there's no physical injury per se. So it's important to understand that a birth trauma can mean that there's been injury to you or your baby, but you could also have not a scratch on you. And it's usually the research is showing us it's more that interpersonal trauma that really hits people home. It's feeling not listened to. It's not having the right support. It's not being respected. It's being rushed through the system. It's all of those things, the racism, prejudice, the all things that happen in a birth suite because people aren't taught this stuff. They're slowly starting to be taught it now, but, I mean, you know, I've spoken to hundreds of midwives over the years and so many people say this just was not part of our training. It's just not. It's like how to prevent trauma. It's not part of our training. Well, that's actually what I was going to ask you was is what has been the perception and then the response as well from um, midwives and people within the medical system that you've spoken to over the years about this is there 
a growing openness about talking about this topic or do you find that there's still a lot of resistance or misunderstanding? Well, it depends who you talk to. <laughs> especially, so. I guess, amongst especially, um, and I'm interested about this too, especially amongst doctors, like both male and female um, and midwives, but I, I guess I don't know whether you, you've done a lot of interviews with um, medical professionals such as doctors, but I'd be interested if you have any insights about whether there is more understanding and growing awareness or whether there's still um, stigma around this conversation. Mm. So I guess one way to describe that effect is, so I have a couple of online courses that go with the book. One is a birth trauma training for people who work in birth. There's something like 2,700 people in that. There's no white male OBs in my course. And I always say this in every interview, if one of them would like to correct me, quite happy to buy them a beer, but like, it is mostly midwives and doulas. It's, um, it's a very, not all OBs are like that, but there is definitely a culture of, well, we're surgeons, we do surgery, we've got enough going on. This is sort of, you know, part of it. I think, yeah, midwifery is a bit more open because it's, if you look at the history of what it's supposed to be, midwifery is very much, you know, woman and birthing person-centred care. It's very family-centred care. It's very much putting the trust in the birthing person to bring the baby into the world and they're just sort of there, you know, like to like the lifeguard, I suppose, to help you swim between the flags, as we kind of say. Um, whereas obstetricians, they're trained surgeons. For the most part, they want to be doing surgery because that's what they're trained to do. A lot of obstetricians have never seen a natural if you want to call it that birth don't know what it is don't know how to cope with it um and you know I suppose to some extent hospitals have a financial incentive to provide medicalized births that you don't earn a lot of money as a hospital for having women have vaginal births the money which hospitals need comes from doing c-sections and inductions and things like that so that's so interesting I actually yeah. didn't know that yeah yeah I guess it's probably quite common knowledge but I wasn't actually aware of that and so it makes a lot of sense for women I know who've been rushed into um, c-sections that they didn't actually want but told that they desperately needed to have it um, I mean I know even in just recently my husband and I were talking about how I think I was maybe right on my due date or it might have been the either the day before or I was one day late and the male um, doctor that I needed to go and see at the hospital, was really pushing for me to just be induced and get the baby out. As I later found out, he was going on holidays, so he just wanted me to have it done now before he went on holidays in a few days. Mm. I'd actually never spoken to him before. He wasn't um, anyone who was part of my care team, but he was really pushing me to have it done and scaring me by telling me that scans were showing that my son had a, what do you say, something like abnormally small shin bones or something like that like there was some something alarming and he needed to come out now because of that and I said well if he's got abnormally mm. small uh, uh, oh no I think it was his head I was like if he has an abnormally small head well first of all hopefully that that's a major incentive for me during birth but I said if he's got a small um <laughs> head then it's that's what it is and inducing him and pushing him to come out right now is not going to change that 
So I, I don't really want to be induced right now. I did actually end up waiting um, until my son was ready to come a few days later, but it ended up being something like a 14-hour labor. It was very, <laughs> it was definitely not, um, it was very traumatic and I couldn't even think about the birth for months afterwards without wanting to cry. And I think part of it was feeling that mm. there was nothing that justified yeah. me feeling that way. You know, I'd had a quote-unquote natural birth. Um, I hadn't mm. had with a healthy baby. Yes, I'd with had a tried the morphine, although that didn't <laughs> didn't help. But um, there seemed to be no reason why I should be feeling this way. And then I'd all I'd read online were lovely little stories from women about writing poetry during their um, contractions and how lovely their birth was. I was like, well, that's that's great. Okay. I just keep <laughs> wanting to cry. And for months I felt um, really traumatised by it. And it was actually not until I think one of my first doctor's appointments, maybe six weeks afterwards, that I even found out what degree of tearing I'd had internally. Like Nobody had told me. And so, again, I went, oh, no wonder I'm in so much pain. But nobody thought to tell me. And at the hospital, they just mm, said, wow. oh, just a couple of really tiny little stitches and you're all fine. But nobody thought to tell me about what was happening. And yeah, mm. it was incredibly traumatic. So I'm really fascinated by your book and very grateful that you've written yeah. this um, because I can only imagine how many other women out there have had way worse experiences than me. And as you've mentioned as well, I think you said women in the Bronx are up to 12 times more likely to die in childbirth than white women, which is horrific. Mm -hmm. I was wondering yeah. what some of the stories or research are that you've, if you could elaborate a little bit on some of the research that you've discovered, particularly within black communities about birth trauma. Well, well there's a history, a long, long history there. And I guess part of it is people not realising that this is a proper epidemic, like it's not just a thing that is happening in communities where, you know, sometimes I think people like to wash their hands a bit a bit and go, oh, well, maybe people were, you know, they're uneducated, they're too poor, they're this, they're that, they're like all the reasons that sometimes people try and find for why something happened instead of actually just going, well, that's systemic racism, that's why it happened. So, yeah, it's, it is 12 times more likely and we like to think that, Technology is getting better, medicine is getting better, but it's actually not. You were better off having a child in the 70s, so our parents' generation potentially. It was safer to have a baby then than it is now. And a huge part of that refers back to what we spoke about earlier with the medical model of, you know, it used to mostly be midwives who were delivering babies or helping deliver babies. These days it's surgeons and surgeons are trained to spot emergencies we're so grateful that they're here we need them but you've got a whole huge section of the community who are not high risk who don't need surgery having surgery because it's money coming in for the hospital um so in new york they have a huge issue with funding obviously there's millions of women giving birth and there's something like there's like three birth centers so everybody else goes to hospital and for the most part it's going to be less trained registrars who are helping people through their birth who've never seen a normal natural birth in their life, whatever normal natural birth is, <laughs> like I'm using that term very, very loosely. But, yeah, and they need to practise their stitches. This is like the history of gynaecology is based on enslaved people. 
it is based on the false perception that still gets carried that black bodies don't feel pain. Um, that's where the history of gynaecology comes from. And in some respects, not much has changed. People still have all sorts of really deeply ingrained racist ideas about different types of bodies. So it is a thing. It's a really, really, mm. really big problem that is probably not well, changing I'm fast really enough. I'm really glad that there's people like yourself who are advocating in these areas and, and not just about birth trauma but specifically um, how much higher those rates are within black communities. And, I mean, that statistic alone that we just shared before should be enough to wake people up and show them how serious of an issue this is. Um, now, just to switch a little bit to your book, because I really want to talk more about that as well, um, I'm always really fascinated by what the writing process is like for different nonfiction authors. Um, and you've mentioned that your book is part memoir and also part uh, practical coping strategies. I was wondering how you found the process of going about, you know, creating this first book. What were some of the challenges that really came up for you and how did you navigate through those as, you know, a first-time author? Mm, I think, I can't remember who said the phrase, but it's like the phrase goes something like, I don't know what I think about something until I write about it. So for me, this story had to come out of me. After my second daughter was born, I, like, it just was a very natural thing to try and process it, was to just start writing stuff down. And once I started, I didn't stop. And so the process wasn't exactly like sit down, light a candle, have a beautiful meditation. It was me jiggling a baby in a baby carrier, writing at the kitchen bench in short bursts, or putting things into the notes on my phone. So because um, people do ask me about this. It's like, well, how did you do this book when you just had a baby? I'm like, well, it just had to come out <laughs> for a start. But I think the other thing is thinking about like, well, what is writing? I think sometimes people get this notion and it's like it can mean a big broad range of tasks, writing. So for me in the early days, writing, it was, we could call it shallow writing. It's reading. It's jotting things into your phone. And then eventually you have so much, I'm doing my hands, <laughs> you you just have so much that you eventually start kind of putting it into a Word document. So I had my own experience that had to come out. The more I spoke about it, the more I wrote about it, the easier it got. Like I'm well rehearsed in talking about this. That's another thing I always say to people. Like it's what you see when I talk about this, it's a rehearsal effect that took many, 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 many hours to even talk about it. But it helped. So there was that. And then I guess I thought, well, I've trained as a psychologist. I have all these strategies, things I've been teaching people anyway. It's kind of just dovetailing it together in a way that's here's some practical things I would have liked because there's nothing, right? There was absolutely nothing when I started looking it up. Um, and that I think is still one of the biggest challenges for this book and this work is that people don't know the words birth trauma are not on their lips. They don't know that that's what they should be looking for. They're looking for, like, I, you know, I feel crap, I've had a bad birth, I feel whatever they feel. Birth trauma is still not necessarily a well-known term. So that's been tricky, even just getting the right information to the right people. Yeah. Mm, you're definitely right about that. I mean, there's lots of mothers out there like myself who for a long time just thought, why do I feel this way? I should be happy, you know. It wasn't that bad compared to a lot of other women. Um, but, yeah, it, it is super important to talk about. 
you talked before about obviously having some tools to work with as a psychologist. Um, but I'm wondering, as you wrote about some of your own stories, did you find that there were certain stories or writing sessions that were a bit more traumatic than others? Or was it all very cathartic? And if it was difficult, did you, I guess, what helped you to work through some of those more traumatic or difficult memories? Mm, I think pacing is always good. So it just depends. Sometimes I sat down, I say I sat down, I really didn't write much of this book sitting down. It was at the kitchen bench, like I said. But there were times where I, like a particular bit, there are certain bits, uh, if I think about describing it, I'm like, no, I need to block myself time away from my baby, (laughs) particularly alone to do that. And then it was like lots of walking, lots of deep breaths, lots of self-compassion like I guess this is the thing if nothing else you've got to go with the self-compassion that you did the best that you could with the tools that you had or the tools that you didn't have or the staff that you had or the staff that you didn't have or the care that you had or you didn't have that's what it kind of all has to come back to so when it is difficult and it will be there were times where I'm just like I cannot actually even see through the tears you just have to stop be self-compassionate and you know kind of do that self-talk that you would do for a good friend which is like of course you feel that way of course you feel that way. Look at what happened. Of course you feel that way. You just come back to it another time. So for me personally, it came out fast, fast and furious. Like this book just could not get out of me any faster. But some of that I, was I think say, was. <laughs> a bit like your first baby from the sounds of it. It's funny, isn't it, how books sometimes follow a similar sort of process. But, yeah. Get that baby induced and it comes straight out. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty quick. Yeah, I, I love though what you said about the fact that you took it in small, short bursts and doing this also with a young baby. Um, I mean, there are a lot of aspiring authors out there who never write their books because they think, well, I just don't have time. I don't have time to sit down for long periods and work on my book by the sea and have this perfect, you know, like perfect inspo um you know, this perfect Instagrammable background as I do my book. And for most of us, we don't have that. And I mean, I think my first book, I was working, literally working off the ironing board. I didn't have a desk. (laughs) My computer was on the ironing board and that was the only space that I could work. And then eventually like moved to the kitchen bench but it also meant I had no dedicated space to work from and, you know, there was always a child around me. So mm. especially for those of us who are parents and we're trying to write a book, it, it is really difficult. And so I think for anyone listening, um, I would really encourage them to take that advice that you gave about your own journey with writing in short bursts, you know, doing it when you can, sometimes with a baby on a hip. Um And then also having time to debrief is very important after you've been kind of in the trenches with some of those memories. So thank you for mentioning that. Another thing that a lot of authors really struggle with, especially if it's their first book, is trying to navigate the publishing process. So I was really interested to hear what that was actually like for you and whether you found it difficult or pretty easy. Mm. What was your publishing journey like? So for this first book, I started with uh, pretty much interviewing other people who'd already had books published and it is a process I'd recommend because you will get completely different answers depending on 
who you ask. So I'm a big fan of just seeking out the people that you think might be in a similar market and paying them. Don't ask to brain pick. Pay them, pay them money because, like, it's they've spent the time. Thank you for saying skills. that. Yeah, we <laughs> don't, we don't pick brains. Very much. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's true because you're looking to condense. It's like when people, you know, want free advice or something. It's like, well, I actually spent 12 years at university, like condensing this to be able to say what I need to say in 12 minutes. It's not for free, right? So let's not do that. So yeah, I started by interviewing people in different countries who published books. One was a traditional publisher, one had self-published, I think, and someone else had done a small publisher. So in the interest of it getting out fast, like when I say I felt like this book needed to get out and it needed to get out fast, I chose a small publisher that had already been, a friend had already published with them. Um, I heard back from them within a week and the book was published within six months. So that was that process, which was very fast. Second book, process has been completely different because sometimes you change your mind about how you want to do things or you think, oh, I might try this or I might try that or, oh. So, but for that first book, it was very, very straightforward. Um, I'd already written the book and I sent off my proposal and it was picked up straight away. So it was, it was easy. Yeah, awesome. I totally acknowledge the second it was quite book, easy. Was the second book a traditional publisher or um, an assisted publisher again? So the second book, it's interesting, again, the things about like birth. So this second book I thought I'll self-publish and I've got up, and which is so much like birth, like you can get up until the point where you're right about ready to birth this baby into the world and now I'm having second thoughts (laughs) about whether I want to self-publish. So at the moment it's in the like hate it, don't want to look at it, need to put it in the cupboard and just let it (laughs) simmer for a bit. But, yeah, it's almost ready up until the point. I just haven't decided which lever I'm going to pull yet. Interesting. Well, Mm. it's important to give yourself space and time to think about that. So, you know, that's that's a great strategy. Just put it aside for now and come back later and have a think about what um, path you want to take with this one. I've Mm. certainly done that with my own books. I think, you know, my most, um, my fourth book, which depending on when this episode comes out may already be out or it's about to launch um but yeah I've gone with a different um publishing house this time around and doing some different things with publicity and you learn as you go and I think it's also important for 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 other authors and particularly first-time authors to know that you don't have to get it perfect the first time Mm -hmm. around I mean one of my other guests said she wrote a book to learn how to write a book um She wanted to do that so that she could write a bestseller one day. And you learn things from the first time around and then you apply them to the second book or the next books and you learn what to do differently. But I think the advice you gave about interviewing other authors is is just gold mm-hmm. and particularly other authors who are in your niche or who have published a book like the one that you're writing because obviously mm-hmm. you, don't, you don't want to go speaking to a fiction author or someone who specialises in um, books for war veterans if you're writing about maternal health or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so those things go without saying, but sometimes people don't think about them. But, yeah, pick someone in your niche. Mm. And then with your book, I would love to hear what kinds of opportunities have really opened up for you 
as a direct result of, you know, embracing your story and being really courageous to talk about these sorts of issues. You mentioned earlier that you've gone on to create some um, birth trauma courses and educational courses, which is great. But what are some of the other opportunities that have really arisen for you as a direct result of becoming an author? Mm. Do you know, one of the things that's actually been really nice is, and it comes up again and again and again, but I was standing in line for like, maybe it was like the first day of kinder or second day of kinder or something, and there were two mums talking about like what a horrible birth they'd had and how awful it was and, you know, all the things that come up. And uh, just the ability to be able to kind of say, oh, I could probably help with that. (laughs) So then, you know, turning out the next day with two copies of the book and going, here you go, and just they're being so grateful and so because that's what it's about. Not everybody's going to go and see a psychologist. Um, Whereas before the book it would have been like, well, I can kind of help you with this. I can kind of, you know, send you in the direction of a therapist. But I think that's it. A lot of people are not in a position or they're not ready or they're not sure what they want a book when you're struggling with something, it can be a really good starting place to pick it up, put it down, pick it up, put it down. And that's what most people say. It's like I still see people at school and they're like, oh, I haven't finished your book yet. I'm like, there's not going to be a test. <laughs> it's okay. It's it's that kind Isn't of. Isn't it funny how know. people say that? Like, sorry to interrupt you, but like no, as no. an author, I find it interesting how readers are like, oh, I haven't, I haven't finished it yet. I'm so sorry. And it's like, that's okay. No, and that's part of it. It's a gift, you know. It's either a gift or if they bought it, it's like it's there for you to read when you need it. Mm, And then the moment they'll pass it to someone else. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's the the longevity. I've always known that this book will be a slow burn, partially because of the fact that we talked about before. Nobody knows what birth trauma is, so they don't know, like they're not putting that into Google, not just yet. They're getting there. But it might be something that makes more impact years later. Who knows? But it is. It's just those. It's those little interactions. Honestly, that at the end of the day, that's like, oh, okay. I actually feel, you know, I can be helpful. I can be of use, and it's it opens up opportunities that wouldn't have otherwise happened with me just being a therapist in my office. I mean, it's, you know, I've got people in forty five different countries who've accessed my work partially because of that. So that's kind of cool, you know, like yeah, to have that amazing. global impact. It gives you global impact, I think. That's probably one thing I would say, even though the impact I just talked about was, you know, low, very local <laughs> in the kindergarten line. But if you want to, it can be, But you that's know. still impact. You know, yeah. it's subjective for each author and some authors really want to create impact in their communities. Mm. And the example you gave is a beautiful one of, of passing your books to other mums um, at school who really need, need a resource like this. So for some of us, it's about global impact. For some, it's community-driven impact. And then there's impact that we'll never know of, you know, the the Mm. people within 45 different countries who've come to know about your work or your books, you know, those are people whose lives will be changed in ways that you may never know, but Mm. the impact is still being created. So, Mm. yeah, I, I think... For anyone out there who's thinking about writing a book, it's so important to, you know, I I talk about this a lot, but it's really important to think about what is the impact that you want to create? Mm. You know, why is it worth doing this for you and for the reader? And then really focus on that and try not to worry about getting things perfect because you'll learn along Mm. the way. And obviously you can work with a book coach or someone who specializes in 
publishing and marketing for books if you want to learn more about that and make the journey easier. But there's lots that just comes the journey of being an author. And I think that's important, you know, just like any other, um, any other career out there, we learn as we go and we educate ourselves along the way. And, um, but yeah, you've created incredible impact through your um, books and through your courses. And, you know, I, for one, am very thankful on behalf of other mothers out there as well for the work that you're doing. I'd love if you could just share with us before you wrap up, what does it mean um, to you to be an author of impact? And what is the, I know you mentioned this a little bit, but what is, what is it that you really feel that you're here to create in the world as an author? Mm, I think it's like, honestly, it just comes back to that thing about, we know some days, not a day in the week right it's kind of like it's been floating around my brain as I try and think about like oh will I do a next book have I given up like my husband laughs at me because I say I'm never doing this again like and then a few weeks later you're like oh maybe it's just in me to write stuff but I think that it's part of that thing of like everybody well, not everybody but a lot of people say they're going to like write a book would like to do this so actually having it done and it not being a Sunday because you think, imagine all the amazing books that have come out that if someone just went, oh, Sunday, Sunday, or the never again, you know, you think about, I was thinking about, um, you know, like Harper Lee and how she never wrote another book ever again. Imagine, imagine what she could have created if only she'd just gone, well, let's just have another go. <laughs> let's just keep blacking at it. So I think, yeah, if we talk about impact and like being scared of impact, I suppose that's another example of sometimes people fear, you know, what what's this going to mean? It doesn't have to mean anything. It's just putting the stuff out into the world and it's not up to you after that. Perfect. I really love that. Um, thank you so much, Erin. And where can people find out more about you and your current book as well as the book that you're hopefully going to put out there at some stage, your second book, and your courses and work as well? It's very simple. I don't do the social media thing anymore, which is a whole other story. It's just a website, which is drerin.com.au. Awesome. Well, those will be in the show notes as well. Um, but thank you again so much for joining us, Erin. I know that there's lots of little tools and pieces of advice that you've shared that will be super helpful for other aspiring authors out there and yeah thank you once again for joining thank you hey there change maker thank you so much for joining me i hope you enjoyed this episode and that you're feeling ready to take the next step in your author journey as always i'd love for you to hit the subscribe notification so that you can be the first to know when new episodes drop and of course if you're feeling ready to take the next step with your own writing and publishing journey and you're looking for one-on-one support, I would love for you to reach out to me at jazzrollinson.com slash bookcoaching. Until next time, keep writing, keep creating impact. And remember, there is always someone out there waiting for a story just like yours.